going to read verses 1 through 7. Judges 12, 1 to 7. And the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and went northward and said unto Jephthah, Wherefore passest thou over to fight against the children of Ammon? Didst not call us to go with thee? We will burn thine house upon thee with fire. Jephthah said unto them, I and my people were at a great strife with the children of Ammon. And when I called you, you delivered me not out of their hands. When I saw that you delivered me not, I put my life in my hands and passed over against the children of Ammon, and the Lord delivered them into my hand. Wherefore then are you come up unto me this day to fight against me? Then Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim, and the men of Gilead smote Ephraim, because they said, You Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among the Manassites. And the Gileadites took the passages of Jordan before the Ephraimites, and it was so that when those Ephraimites, which were escaped, said, Let us go, me go over, that the men of Gilead said unto them, Art thou an Ephraimite? That word Ephraimite, by the way, is the same word that's translated fugitive in verse uh, 4. Um, anyway, Art thou an Ephraimite? If he said nay, then said they unto him, Say now Shibboleth. And he said, Sibboleth. For he could not frame to pronounce it right. Then they took him and slew him at the passage of Jordan. There fell at that time of the Ephraimites forty and two thousand. Jephthah judged Israel six years. Then died Jephthah the Gileadite and was buried in one of the cities of Gilead. Title of the message, Pride and Envy. The destruction of Ephraim. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to look in your word. We thank you, Father, that for the um, relevance of your word even to our day. And we thank you that it does address every issue, every problem, every sin and uh, that we face in this life. And Lord, I pray as we look into the word of God tonight, as we think about pride and envy, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts, help us to examine our hearts before you tonight to see if there be any of this wicked way in us, we pray. And Father, help us to um, allow you to search our hearts and uh, cleanse our hearts um, for your good and our glory. We pray in, for your glory and our good, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We've we've uh, heard from the Ephraimites before, if you remember, in the book of Judges here already, at a similar circumstance. Remember, after Gideon had had defeated um, <clears throat> the uh, armies of uh, Midian, I believe it was Midian. Again, they were jealous of him and his victories, and. Um, and of course, he the answer he gave them uh, kind of set them back and you know pride themselves in what they had done, so they didn't pursue any any further animosity against Gideon. However, it's not so this time. Uh, this is a continual problem with Ephraim. In fact. Isaiah 11, speaking of when Christ comes or sets up his kingdoms, and Isaiah 11 verse 13 says, The envy also of Ephraim shall depart, 
Lord, it never ceased. It never ended. And the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not vex Ephraim. Uh, the word envy is, is used here is used in the sense of hatred. The word envy most times in the Bible means ill will. There's hatred with it. Uh, many times when you see the word jealousy, uh, you know those two words basically mean the same thing. But most times in the Bible, when the word the Bible uses the word jealousy, it, it, you know, for example, Paul says, "I was jealous over you with a godly jealousy." For I've espoused you to one husband, even to Christ. In other words, he was zealous over them. He desired that they not turn away from him and the truth that he had preached, and, and, and most of all, not turn away from Christ. So he was jealous for them. It was a godly jealousy. It was a righteous thing. And most times, you know, it even talks about God being jealous for us. So most times when it uses the word jealous or jealousy, it's referring to something that's righteous and something that's good. But when he uses the word envy, it's almost always wicked and evil. Uh, and so it means hatred, which rose out of from ambition. And this is, this is uh, actually um, Barnes notes, I should have mentioned that. Which rose out of ambition of Ephraim and the prosperity of Judah. Ephraim here is a name for the kingdom of Israel or the, or the ten tribes of the northern kingdom, as we're thinking about Isaiah 11, verse 13. You know, uh, after the, the, the tribes separated this division, and, you know, when Rehoboam took the throne, many times the northern kingdom was called Ephraim, because they were seen to be the leaders of the northern kingdom. In fact, I think Jeroboam was out of Ephraim. Remember, Joshua was from Ephraim. Uh, and so they had this pride. And, and, and it may stem from the fact also that if you go clear back to Jacob, uh, Ephraim, Manasseh was the firstborn of Joseph, Ephraim was the second, but, but Jacob blessed Ephraim over Manasseh for some reason. And I didn't look and see what all that means, but anyway, he did that. So there's this envy, there's this envy, there's this animosity toward Judah, all rising from their ambition. Uh, and he gives several things. You know, the, this tribe, in connection with those that were allied to it, talking about Ephraim, constituted a very large and flourishing part of the Jewish nation. They were therefore envious of any other tribe that claimed any superiority, and particularly jealous of Judah. Secondly, they occupied a central and commanding position. They were centrally located in, in Israel, and naturally claimed the preeminence over the tribes in the north. Third, they had been formerly... Highly favored by the abode of the ark. When they first came into the land, that's where the ark dwelt. Um, and the tabernacle among them, and on that account claimed to be the natural head of the nation. Uh, and then fourthly, when King Saul, or Saul was king, though he was of the tribe of Benjamin, they submitted peaceably to his reign because the Benjamites were in alliance with them and adjacent or next to them. But when Saul died, the kingdom passed in the hands of David of the tribe of Judah... Their natural rival, thus exalting that powerful tribe, they became dissatisfied and restless. David kept the nation united, but on his death, they threw off the yoke of his successor, which would have been uh, at the end of Solomon's reign, they, they separated the kingdom, became a separate kingdom. And from this time, their animosities and strife became an importer and painful part of the history of the Jewish nation until the kingdom of Ephraim, 
or the northern ten tribes were removed to Assyria. And Hosea said this. Hosea 4.17 Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. Let him alone. Your envy and pride will bring you to destruction and will bring you opposition from God. God hates pride. And so in our account tonight, here in Judges chapter 12, we'll look at this a little bit. First, in some of the things that pride's done. First of all, we see here an unreasonable offense in verse 1. The men of Ephraim gathered themselves together, <coughs> excuse me, and went northward and said unto Jephthah, Wherefore passest thou over to fight against the children of Ammon, and didst not call us to go with thee? We will burn thine house upon thee with fire. Now, does that sound reasonable to you? You know, Proverbs 13.10 says this. this. You ought to memorize this verse. Only by pride cometh contention. So if there's contention, there's pride somewhere. Proud men think all honors belong to them and no one else. And so, here's this unreasonable offense. I want you to notice several things about it. First of all, it is causeless and unjust. Again, verse 1, the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and went northward and said of Jephthah, Wherefore passest thou over to fight against the children of Ammon? Didst not call us to go with thee? We will burn thine house upon thee with fire. So why didst thou not call us to go with thee? Well, for a good reason. Because it was the men of Gilead, first of all, that made him captain over them. Not the men of Ephraim, so he had really, you know, he, he didn't have maybe the authority to call him. You know, and, and again, had his attempt failed for one of their help, they might have blamed him. But when the dirt, one, when the work's done, and it's done effectively, and the Ammonites are subdued, and Israel, all of Israel is delivered, and there's no harm done in them not helping, this, this accusation or this offense is just causeless and unjust. Secondly, it's cruel and outrageous. Notice the last half of that verse. And didst not, you know, wherefore pass thou over to fight against the children of Ammon, and didst not call us to go with thee? We will burn thine house upon thee with fire. Now, they, it says they gathered themselves together and went northward. So they gathered together. They crossed the Jordan River. You know, Ephraim, if you know anything about the geography of, of Israel, Gilead is in Manasseh on the east side of the Jordan River. You know, Manasseh is on both sides. There's half of the tribe of Manasseh on the east side. There's half of the tribe of Manasseh on the west side. And on the west side, they'd be north of Ephraim. And so they, they, and, you know, they're, they're straight across from each other. But Gilead is on the east side of the Jordan. And, and you know, uh, West Nass is here. And to the south a little bit, right next to it, is Ephraim. 
So they've gathered there that they've crossed the Jordan River and they march north. And Gilead, or Mizpah, is sort of in the northern part of, of Manasseh. Why did they gather themselves together and why did they go north? For one reason, to fight. They had every intention of fighting Jephthah. Well, knowing that, they said, we're going to burn your house down upon you. This is just cruel and outrageous. Somebody says those, quote, those resentments that have the least reason for them have commonly the most rage in them, unquote. Proverbs 14.30 says, A sound heart is the life of flesh, but envy the rottenness of the bones. Proverbs 23.17, Let not heart, thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all thy day long. Proverbs 27.4, Wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous, but who is able to stand before envy? Remember, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, when, when Paul was traveling around in his missionary journeys, you know, because of envy, he had constant uh, harassment from the Jews. Acts chapter 13, verse 45. When the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Uh, Acts 17, 5. But the Jews which believed not, moved with envy, took, up, took unto them certain lewd fellows of baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city in uproar, and sold the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. You know, and so this is, this is you know, just cruel and outrageous. You know, <laughs> You know, I thought this. Is it not true that that which benefit us the most, we often don't want? Here is Paul preaching the gospel in these cities, and that which would benefit the people the most, they do not want. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? But you know, that's, that's, that's the nature of man. When I want a snack, you know, I should eat a carrot or a celery stick. But no, 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 I want a cookie or some ice cream. Now, which of the two would be the most beneficial? That's a dumb question, isn't it? That's true spiritually also. The flesh... Desires to please itself to its destruction. Or Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. He's going to give a list of the works of the flesh. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, which is really lawlessness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, 
strife, traditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they that do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, my question to you is, which of those things will promote a healthy, long, and happy life? Which ones, Brennan? None. Not one. Now, you may desire them. And it may bring little pleasure for a little bit. But in the end, it's going to bring destruction. See, it's true that the things that would be most beneficial to us, we often don't want. I remember Bob Mitchell saying, when he was working on getting permits and building the building there in Maine for their church building. Of course, this wasn't his first round at getting permits and building a church building. But he said this. He said, it's getting, it used to be communities wanted a church. Now they don't. And they do everything they can to make it difficult. So, this was just a cruel and outrageous. But I notice another thing. Notice Jephthah's reasonable defense. You know, they are, un- they give an un- they are, it's an unreasonable offense. But Jephthah here gives a reasonable defense. In uh, verse 2, and verse 3 says, And Jephthah said unto them, I, I and my people were at a great strife with the children of Ammon. When I called you, deliver me not out of their hands. When I saw that you delivered me not, I put my life in my hands and passed over against the children of Ammon. The Lord delivered into my, into my hand. Therefore then are you come up unto me this day to fight against me. So you know, he, he did not try to pacify them you know, as Gideon had done, by the way. Uh, but the Israelites here, or the Ephraimites, I'm sorry, are now more outrageous than they were then. And I don't know that Jephthah had the, such a, a spirit as Gideon, but be that as it may, he, to, you know, as you think about his reasonable offense, first of all, he, he justifies himself. He, he, you know, he says you know, they had no reasonable quarrel with him. Uh, it was not in pursuit of glory that he engaged in this war, but a, simply a necessity for the defense of their country. Notice again verse 2. Jephthah said unto them, I and my people were a great strife with the children of Ammon. It was just a necessity. Ammon, you know, we, that, that we strove with Ammon. So out of necessity, we went to war with Ammon. Secondly, he had invited the Ephraimites. Now they make no, they didn't, they didn't mention that. But you know when he mentioned it, they didn't contradict him. Notice verse two. When I verse two, the end of the verse. When I called you, you delivered me not out of their hands. So evidently, he had invited them. Um, you know, 
though he, you know, he didn't need them, he wasn't any obligation to them, but yet he invited them, but evidently they declined, declined the, the help. Actually, he had more cause for quarrel against them than they had with him. Somebody has said, quote, It is no new thing for those who are themselves most guilty to be most clamorous in accusing the innocent, unquote. So he had invited them. Thirdly, uh, the enterprise was very hazardous. And uh, verse 3 says, And when I saw that you delivered me not, I put my life in my hands and passed over against the children of Ammon. So he, he did this at great peril to, him, to himself and to the Gileadites. Uh, you know, this, this honor that they envied came to him at great price and at great risk. Something they wouldn't even dare to consider trying. And notice, fourthly, he does not take the glory of success to himself. It says it again in verse 3, the end of the verse, And the Lord delivered them into my hand. Wherefore then are you come up unto me this day to fight against me? The Lord gave me the victory, and so why are you coming against me? Basically what he's saying is, by your coming against me, you're coming against the Lord who gave the victory. Notice, then, the irrational reaction. <laughs> now, the word irrational means without sound reason. You know, D-U-M, dumb. Notice verse 4. Then Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim. And the men of Gilead smote Ephraim because they said. Now, so they said this before the battle. Ye Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim, among the Ephraimites, and among the Manassites. Now, Matthew Henry says this, and he translates this this way. That phrase, ye Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim, among the Ephraimites, and among the Manassites. He says, this is what this really translates into, and I quote, you Gileadites that dwell here on the other side of Jordan are but fugitives of Ephraim, the scum and dregs of the tribes of Joseph, of which Ephraim is the chief, the refuge of the family, and are so accounted among the Ephraimites and among the Manassites. Who cares for you? All your neighbors know who, what you are, no better than fugitives and vagabonds separated from your brethren and driven hither into a corner. Unquote. In other words, you're just the scum of the earth. Fugitives. Now, I don't think that was a very wise thing to say to a man that had just defeated a huge army with a few men. You talk about a irrational reaction? You see, by saying this, these Ephraimites had not only quarreled with Jephthah, 
but with his neighbors and his friends who took part in the battle. This is, this is, they had given them foul language. Go to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. James chapter 3, verse 6. And the tongue, speaking about the tongue, and tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, so is the tongue among our menders, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. They just started a fire, let me tell you. Verse 13. Who is a wise man endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. And then Psalm 64, verse 8. Psalm 64, and verse 8. Psalm 64, 8 says, So they shall make their own tongue. To fall upon themselves, all that see them shall flee away. They're going to make their own tongue fall upon themselves. A real, a, a, an irrational response from the Ephraimites. And then I want you to notice the third thing. God punishes these proud Ephraimites. And it's interesting... How he does it answers to their sin. You know, that's the way often God often does things. Think about it. Go to the book of Revelation and see the judgments that's poured out upon the earth. And, and basically, you know, at some points, it's almost like God saying, okay, you want blood? I'm going to give you blood to drink. You stone people? I'm going to make the rocks fall on you. Notice several things. Number one, they were proud of the honor of their tribe and gloried in this. But now, they were brought to shame and fearful to own their own country. Look at verse 5. Well, let's read verse 4 and 5. It says, Then Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim. By the way, Ephraim... uh, um, they're, he's going to kill forty and two. They're going to kill forty and two thousand of them. Evidently, they came with at least around fifty thousand men. So they had quite a large army. But but um, they fought with Ephraim, and the men of Gilead smote Ephraim because they said, "You Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among the Manassites." And the Gileadites took the passages of Jordan before the Ephraimites, and it was so that when those Ephraimites which were escaped said, "Let me go over," that the men of Gilead said unto him. Art thou an Ephraimite? And he said, Nay. He didn't want to even admit anymore that he's an Ephraimite. You know, they boasted in who they were, but now all of a sudden they don't even want anybody to know who they are. Yeah, they had gone in a rage. Secondly, they'd gone in a rage over Jordan to burn Jephthah's house with fire. But now they come back. S- 
you know, there is, there is, there as, there as, um, um, you know, you know, they were zealous about passing over. Now they're zealous about sneaking back because their 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 return is cut off. Right? Notice again, verse five. Um, and Gileadites took the passage of Jordan before the Ephraimites, and it was so when they those Ephraimites which were escaped said, "Let me go over." That the men of Gilead said to them, "Art thou an Ephraimite?" And he said, "Nay." Then said they unto him, "Say now, Shibboleth." And he said, Sibboleth, for he could not frame to pronounce it right. Then they took him and slew him at the passage of Jordan. There fell at that time the Ephraimites forty and two thousand. So they're so they're sneaking back just as furiously as they had they had, you know came over in a rage. Uh, they had upbraided thirdly. They had upbraided the Gileadites with their um, 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 low country, lying at such a distance, and now they suffered by the infirmity procured to their own in not being able to pronounce their own passage. Shibboleth. Shibboleth. But they would say, Sibboleth. And then number four, they had called the Gileadites fugitives. Now they really are and have become fugitives. And I made note of this in verse 5, where it says at the end of the verse, Art thou an Ephraimite? So that's the Gileadite would ask a guy, Are you an Ephraimite? And the word there, the Hebrew word, is the same word that's translated fugitive in verse 4. So he's, he's really asking back to the Ephraimite what they called the Gileadites. Calling them the same name. It didn't matter what answer he gave, he was sunk. Because he couldn't pronounce his word, Shibboleth. Somebody said, He that rolls the stone of reproach unjustly upon another, let him expect that it will justly return upon himself. Himself. You know, Proverbs has a lot to say about pride. Go to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 6. There isn't much that God hates more than pride. New Ephraim was a tribe that had, that had uh, great privilege, great honor bestowed to them. But they just they self-destructed. You might say, "Well, the Gileadites saw a lot of them." Yeah, but they but really they self-destructed because of their pride and their envy. Proverbs six, verse sixteen: These six things does the Lord hate; yea, seven are an abomination unto Him: a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief. A false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. You know, pride and envy are two things that go together. And if if you are a proud person, it's very likely you're going to be committing all seven of these sins. 
which, think about it. They did. They were proud. They lied about the fact that Jephthah asked them for help. They were going to shed innocent blood. They were stirring up mischief. Again, false witnesses and being causing division amongst tribes. They were guilty of all seven. Proverbs 28. I'm sorry, Proverbs 29. Proverbs 29, verse 1. He that being often reproved hardens his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Here is a proud person. Characteristic of a proud person is one who hardens his neck. You know, you would have thought that a, you know, a rational person, when Jephthah gave his justification for why he didn't call them or why they didn't help him, really I should say. A rational person said, you know what? You're right. You're right. Well, proud people rational. Is it not true? I've even noticed this in religious circles. Many times when you point things out, instead of making things right, many times people will begin to, if they don't have an answer, then they begin to call you names. Attack your character. See this in politics all the time. You know, some characteristics of, of pride are self-seeking, self-honor, anger, quick to anger, a critical spirit, easily offended. You know, uh, Psalm 119, verse 165 says, uh, Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Proud people are easily offended, quick to take offense, as we see in Ephraim. You know, let me ask you tonight. Is there something you're angry about? Is there something you're envious of someone else about? Are you proud? You many times... Instead of accepting what God has given to us, it's easy to look at other people and say, I wish I had what they have. I wish I had talents, abilities, whatever. Instead of accepting what God has given us and using it for his glory. Sort of like Peter. Remember when Peter said, Lord said to Peter, how he was going to die. 
And Peter looked at John and said, what about him? What about him? And Jesus said, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. So who cares if Jephthah gets the victory? Praise the Lord. It was for their benefit. Again, I have to conclude that pride makes you D-U-M dumb. And we ought to rejoice in what God does, even through others, even if it isn't me. We should have the attitude of Gideon. Hey, you did more than I did. So what? So what? I want to look at one other verse. Go to uh, James chapter 4. James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse 5. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit dwelleth that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Now, the word resisteth there. I've heard one commentator describe it this way. As God dresses up in battle array and goes to war against you. You see, to resist God is pride. To resist His will for your life is pride. And and remember, God knows what's best. God knows what's good for us. Even if we don't think we want it. It is what's best for us. So submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Might God help us to flee the sin of pride. To put it away. And and submit to God and His will for our lives. Let's pray.